Welcome to church. Glad that you're here. Today we're going to start by reading the word, like we have the last couple of weeks. And we are going to be in Hosea chapter 4. So if you could stand for the reading of the word. Um, Today we're going to, in heart, be covering chapters 4 to 10 of Hosea. But don't worry, you're not standing for a reading through all of that. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. This is what he says to us. Hosea chapter 4, verse 10. Is they shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. I'll read it one more time. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away understanding. Uh, Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, we invite you into this room. I invite you into the preaching of your word. I pray that your spirit would fill this room and every heart in it, Lord, that you would illuminate your scriptures to us, that you would speak uh, once again through the words found in Hosea like you did so long ago. We uh, love you, Lord. We come here to know you better, to hold up a mirror to ourselves and say, Lord, search me and see what you find and walk through it with me. Lord, um, love you. We give you all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. All right. So, to start off today, I was thinking, remember when, uh, well, okay, for some of us, that won't really hit. When I was young, um, Cell phones did not all look the same. And, well, actually, I remember getting my first phone. When I was really young, there were no phones. But when I was a teenager, phones were so different from one another, right? Nowadays, they all look the same, and they all do pretty much the same things, uh, except for Android phones that are the worst. Um, But they look the same. They do the same. They are all more powerful than the space shuttle that took people to the moon for the first time, which is insane. But back in the day, they were different, and they looked different, and they came in different colors, and they opened in different ways. Some of them did this, some of them did this, some of them just did nothing, some of them went like this. There was just like a lot of variety. And uh, I remember this because uh, it was also really exciting to get a new phone back then. Now it's just like, okay, what's the new feature? They all do pretty much the same thing. They all do more than any of us really need. Uh, But back in the day, it was exciting. And you could either get a dud or you could get something really cool. And uh, if if you were like me, you were always looking forward to getting your new phone because it was just exciting. The the possibility of getting something really great and then getting something you didn't like just made it more exciting. It made it more appealing, at least to me. Uh, And I remember this one time. Uh, The original Razer was coming out. And I wanted that phone so bad. 
uh, one, of the, one of the most prevailing uh, voices in my head was always to put myself down, to always not want nice things. Uh, I talk about that every once in a while. Uh, but I let, myself, I let myself really want phones. And uh, I really wanted this new Razer phone. And I like, asked my parents for it for a long time. I was just, I really want this guy. And Dad, Mom, can I get this? It's expensive. I know it was really expensive when it came out. Uh, but I really wanted the new Razer phone. I really wanted to have it. And uh, it was lining up, right? Because sometimes opportunity needs to meet the right time. And I needed a new phone. It was time to get a new update. It, it had been two years or three years, whatever it was. And I was getting ready. I was like, Mom, Dad, it's like I need a new phone. It's time to get a new phone. Can I have this Razer? And um, to my surprise, they said yes. Not because they don't give me good things, but because it was expensive. And I got the phone, and I was so excited. Uh, I don't know if you have to do this anymore, because I haven't gotten a new phone in a, a long time. But um, I, like, I brought it home, and I was so excited. But it needed to charge for like a day before you ever touched it, right? It was always so frustrating to me, because I was so excited to play. And then I, had, like, I got it, and then I had to wait until I could actually use it. Um, but I got it. And I waited the however long you're supposed to wait. And after about two days, I couldn't care less about it. Right, the excitement of the new phone faded away pretty quickly, and it became just another thing in my pocket. Uh, today, I want to talk about when we get things that we've really wanted, and we realize that it wasn't as satisfying as we thought it would be. But today, I want to talk about uh, the journey of going after something so hard and giving so much of yourself towards this one thing, but then you get it, and then you realize you didn't get something that great. It wasn't what you had built up it up to be in your mind. The happiness or the joy or the satisfaction didn't really line up with what you told it would be like when you got it. So I was thinking about cell phones with me as a kid growing up this week. Uh, but then I was thinking about us. I was thinking about how we experience this in our lives all the time. And um, I just have a couple of questions for us to start off today. I know that we all get disappointed when we don't get things that we really want in life, right? That's really human. You really want something and you don't get it. That comes with a lot of disappointment. Uh, but talking about that specifically, we're going to reserve for another day. The deeper questions that I want to ask for us today is, have, we, have you ever chased, have we ever chased anything with our whole being, with our whole hearts, with our whole desire? Like we're really fixated and focused and we're like disciplining ourselves and we're going after this one thing and then you get it. What is that like? How many times are we ever truly satisfied with the things that we set out to get? How many times are we truly like brought to joy for a prolonged period of time when we get that one thing? Today, I want to talk about being deeply disappointed, but also really satisfied. And so I just have a couple questions for us today. Are you in one of those seasons right now? Are you in a season where you're chasing something that you've been after for a long time? Or are you in a season where you're about, like you're getting what you've been trying to get for so long and you're getting it right now and you're still kind of new to it and you're discovering it? 
Uh, but what about if you're chasing something? And I have a, a couple of questions. Question one is what happens, what will happen when you get it? When you get that promotion or that relationship or that security or that amount of money or that new job, all of that, what, what will happen when you get it? What in your life will really change when you get that thing that you really wanted? Whether it's a good thing to want or a bad thing to want, let's just talk about what will really change when you actually get it. What will happen when it's in your life? What will it really change? How will your life be any better than, than it is right now? What is really going to change if you get that thing you're chasing? I want us to sit in that tension because we're people and we feel that tension often, but also because we are people who live in Jersey City and so you have most likely been brought here because you're chasing after something. It's, a, it's few, Roe and one, Paul are the only people who are really here because they are from here. The rest of us are here because we've been brought here. And so what are we chasing? What will really happen to ourselves, to our lives, to who we are allowing ourselves to become when you get that thing that you've been so desperately working towards? What will really change? Today is week three in our series uh, on Hosea. This incredible, deep, profoundly life-changing book about God talking to one of his prophets, one of his Old Testament prophets, and he gave him a very unique mission. He said, go out and find a whore and marry her. Right? Just to remind us of the definition of a whore, because by definition, a whore is never a good thing. A whore is a person who sacrifices personal principles or uses someone or something in a base or unworthy manner, usually for money, to get what they want. So it's someone who is betraying what they know is right to get something for themselves from someone, right? What happens when we, like God, we are the whore in the relationship between us and God? When we're the ones who walk away from him repeatedly time and time again, when we are the unfaithful spouse in this equation, right? Because that's never God. What happens when we walk away from him? Well, how will God respond? Hosea is this book that answers the question, will God ever really divorce us? Will he ever really leave us? Is there ever a point where it's too much and he's done? And he's going to undo all of this that he started. What happens when we're caught chasing after everything else other than the Lord, finding all of our safety and security, meaning and purpose, all of our identity in everything else other than the one who is the only one who can truly give us those things and give us those things out of pure love? self-sacrificing love, love that is based in not just an emotion, though he, we will read, has many emotions, but based out of perfect love to give us true life. What happens when we, our lives look a lot like Hosea's relationship to his wayward wife, Hosea, Gomer, excuse me. Uh, and today we are going to take this practical look into what God was doing in the story of Hosea. Up until now, we've been saying, okay, God spoke to Hosea and he told him to go and find this wife, to marry her, to have kids. And in their relationship, 
Hosea would both know the Lord in a unique way, in a way that no one else in, that, in the world at that point would know him, right? That, he, that God's like struggle and his pain of being this faithful spouse to an unfaithful lover, Hosea knew that because it was what he came home to every day. He had this unique, unique insight into God's heart. But then more than that, God was also specifically talking to Israel about how they were playing the whore with God, how they wandered and had idols and did not know the Lord and sought after everything else before they actually did him. And so today we are going to uh, drop the metaphor. We're not going to talk about other lovers. We're going to look at what God was saying to Israel in their day. Stop doing this thing if you are my people because I'm here and I'm giving you a perfect home to live in. And so we're going to look at the three things that God was saying to Israel of what they were doing wrong, of how they were leaving him and replacing him with everything else that shouldn't be in their lives, and it shouldn't be what they were all, were all about. Israel, God's special people on this earth. And so uh, before we really go into that, I just want to pray one more time. Uh, if you could bow your heads with me. Lord, um, I just pray that you would be here today to examine our hearts. God, only you can do that. Only you can truly show us what's going on in our hearts. Our hearts have an infinite capacity of deceiving ourselves. But you can see, you can see us and know what's really there. And so I pray that for all of us, Lord, that what you would do today is act like a mirror to show us where in our lives we do these things. If we do these things, then how you can stop it from happening. How you can take us out of the wilderness and bring us into your loving home. And so, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to do the work that only you can do, because only you know what's really in our hearts. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're covering today a lot of chapters, so I'm going to be reading a lot, and uh, I like to say this every once in a while, I know how to read, I'm going to be ignoring all the commas and all the periods, uh, just because I'm I, really excited about this. Uh, what does God do in the face of our wandering, of how we are all prone to wander and seek everything that matters in every other place? Uh, Hosea is a beautiful story. If how God has orchestrated this through the life of this one prophet, through 25 years of this prophet's ministry, speaking to Israel to stop doing what they were doing. Uh, before we get to the three charges, though, I just also want us to continue to realize how God speaks his heart perfectly to us, powerfully to us, in the words of Hosea. Right, we're going to read some words this week that are still really difficult for us to take in. Uh, we're going to read some words that we don't usually associate with the God who we see in Jesus, right? Even though Jesus was wild too. We, like, some of these words confront the, the pictures or the boxes that we put God in. But God is huge. He's always so much bigger than our boxes. And I wanted to say this because God gives us hard words in the book of Hosea. I wanted to make two things really clear. First is that uh, when God speaks to us really with really hard words in the book of Hosea, it's, he's not just some guy who is short-tempered and yelling at us, right? Some of you in your houses, you've seen parents or friends in bad relationships, 
Unfortunately, some of our parents were like this as well. When they yell, it's because they're just short-tempered and on a short fuse, and they're just yelling at you to yell at you. When God gives us hard words in Hosea, he's not a short-tempered husband. But for 650 years, he's called his people in the promised land to return to him. Excuse me. To love him. It's not this guy who is just like on a whim just yelling at us, but a perfect God who loves us wholly and perfectly and is not okay with seeing us find cheap lovers. He wants the best for us, which is always him. And so when you read these words, when you encounter hard words in the Bible, it's the same God who died on the cross for you who is perfect at telling you the truth. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, similar, but when God gives us hard words, it's not meaningless. He's not saying these hard words, knowing that he's not going to do them. He's not saying, like, at one point, he's like, I I will kill you with thirst. He said that in chapter one, right? He's not saying that, uh, saying, like, oh, I'm just kidding, or I'm just saying that to get a reaction out of you. Like, no, God only doesn't do that because he is also perfect in mercy. Don't just read hard words and say, he won't do that. That's not the God of the cross, right? It is. It's the same God, and he never changes. And so when he gives us these words, realize instead of dismissing them or talking them away, say, well, this is in God's heart, and his heart is perfect, and he never speaks out of turn, and he never speaks out of truth. And so try and understand what he's feeling, what he's communicating, and what, look at yourself and say, how do I do this? How do I make him feel these things? Because God says some crazy things in the book of Hosea. Like in chapter 6, verse 4, he continues to give us his heart in all of this. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Right? He's like, your love is like no, almost nothing. It's like the dew in the morning. The second the sun comes out, it fades away. It evaporates. It doesn't stand up to any of life's hardships or trials. Like, I'm here. I'm God. I'm loving you perfectly all the time. And your love is like, it goes away so fast. What am I going to do with you? Right? These are God's words. This is in his heart. Chapter 7, 13 and 14, he says, I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. He's like, I would redeem you. I'm here to redeem you at every second of your life. If you call on me to save you, I am here. God never withholds his saving from anyone, but we're too busy lying about him. We're too busy turning our backs on him. We're too busy treating him like he's nothing, like he's one of our other figments of our imaginations. And he, I love how he also, he goes on and says that they, cry, they don't cry to me from their heart, but they wail upon their beds. How long do we stay in miserable places crying in our private places without bringing them to the one who can do something about it? Like how long can we just, I feel like sometimes we just keep ourselves in these places of misery because we want to feel it and it's good to feel it but feel it and bring it to the Lord and he can redeem us and do something with it. Let's not waste seasons of our lives when we could be bringing these things to the one who truly loves us. In verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 14, he says, for Israel has forgotten his maker. We just like forget him. 
and we walk away. And most of our lives show that like we just forget him. Right? I'm too busy. That's just another way of saying I just forgot him. He's not the one thing. He's not my priority. He's not the thing I am seeking after the most. Chapter 9, verse 12, he says, even if, I, even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Right? These are real words spoken from God's heart of being hurt all the time because the one he loves the most walks away from him all the time. Let these words, let Hosea's words really impact our hearts. Like let them really give you a window into how you actually live your life. Because we are all saved by grace. That is true. Grace is the only thing that will ever save anyone who is ever saved. Because no one is ever worthy. But we can look at our lives and see what our lives tell us really matter. And if we walk away from the Lord all the time. And so God continues to give us his heart in the, books, in the pages of Hosea. And then he starts to speak to Israel, and he tells them that they are doing these three things over and over and over again, and he wants them to stop. He wants them to realize that he is the one who truly loves us, and he provides all of these things for us perfectly at all times, is that Israel, the things he says to Israel, what they're doing, he says, Israel, uh, you don't know me. He says, Israel loves other gods. And he says that Israel finds other security. So let's break those three down. Three things down. These are the three big major charges that God brings to Israel through Hosea's 25 years worth of ministry. So let's start with the first one, that Israel doesn't know me. Let's read chapter 4, verse 1, right? We've covered up to chapter 4 right now. And then chapter 4 to chapter 10 is where God is really giving, telling Israel what they are doing wrong in a very real way. And the very first thing that he starts, verse number one in this section of the story, he says this. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Right? No knowledge of God in the land. What God was saying to Israel is, hey, you guys don't actually really know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know me in your knowledge and in your experience, because if you did, why would you leave my home? You would never leave my home. If you truly knew who I was and what I do and what I'm about, if you know what I'm capable of, if you know what I've done for your people all this time, you wouldn't leave this home. You would stay close to me always, because there is nothing better there is nothing more real than God in all the universe, in everything that's ever been made. So we actually don't know him as well as we do if we're walking away from him all the time, because if we did, man, it would be the one thing that our souls need the most at every moment. And I know the condition of sin is that it makes us prone to wandering. That, that's what we do until we see Jesus face to face we will always be doing that, but if we really knew the Lord, would we walk away so often? Would we look to other things to give us significance, meaning, identity, all of these things like we do right now? 
if we give every day until the day that we die to saying, like, Lord, make me more faithful to you, he is faithful to do that. What he's saying to Israel is the, the, you do the things that you do because you don't really know me. And today, to the church, he still says the same thing. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't leave my house as often as you do. Uh, look at our lives, the way you live your life individually. I'm not the one telling you any of this. Search yourself. Search how you spend your time. Search how you get to the end of the week or on Sundays. And search how you fill every second of your life because you're the only one really truly filling and making those decisions. I'm not. Uh, God gives us freedom. You're the one filling your days. Let's see in your life how often you think of him. How often you pray to him. How often you're in his word. How often you're with his people to be intentional. How often you're with other people to be intentional about telling them, about living with them, telling them about Christ at the right moments. Right? Look at your life, not because you're, be, because you're saved by behavior, but the way that you live shows you what's, what's most important. If you go through the week and you never think of him once, he's not that important. You might think he is. You might say that he is. You might actually even think that he is, but your life shows you that he's not. Right? Think about how you fill your days. Let the Holy Spirit this week show you how you fill your time and what more than just what you do with your body, what you do to your heart. Is he central in there? Is he the one that you return to? Is he your first love? Is he where you go to with the second that you have a moment of privacy or of peace or of clarity? No one's saved by behavior, but the things that we fill our days with show us what we really care about. Uh, chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Right, what he's saying is, I, I don't want this behavior. Right? Your behavior isn't the thing that I'm talking about. Your behavior would change if you really knew me. But I'm not talking about behavior here. I'm talking about you truly knowing who I am. That's what God wants. He set up the whole sacrifice system. He set up the temple in, in Jerusalem. He set that all up. But he said, you know, it's not about that. It's about knowing me. I want you to know me. Isn't it crazy to think that the God found on the cross is the God who wants to be known? His whole interaction with humans throughout all of time has been, I want you to know me. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy that this God just wants us to know who he is. And the word for know here, because I love Hebrew, uh, is yada. Can you say that with me? Yada. We have a slide so that you can see what it looks like uh, in seminary. That was one of the easiest words for all of us to remember because it's yada, right? So you will never forget that Hebrew word ever again. To know God is to yada him. And it's not just this factual knowing, but it's this like deep well of experiencing him, of having all these stories with him, of being able to look at your life and see the moments that you were provided for the moments of like grand coincidences, right? It's like it's always been him. You have these stories. You know that it was him all along, right? Up until now in the story, he talks all of the time about how we take everything that we have he's given us and we take it and we bring it to all the wrong places. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us a different perspective. He's been there all along. 
He's been giving you every good thing that you have all along. It's been him. Let us know him in that, in what he's already done. Let's yada him. Uh, really quick, the Old Testament uh, prophet's role was to speak to the leaders of the day. Sometimes we think that, the, uh, that an Old Testament prophet was really just screaming on the sidewalk as he walked. And though I'm sure there was some of that because they were peculiar people. The role of an Old Testament prophet was to talk to the king, was to talk to the high priest, was to talk to everyone in power because they were the ones leading people astray. And we don't have that set up here today. We don't have kings that tell us what to do. I am not your high priest. I'm just a pastor serving among the flock. And so you are the one serving these roles in your life. These words speak to you because you're the ones who are in charge of your life. You're the ones who live out every day that you do. Don't, like, let's get out of the mindset that we're doing all of these things because we have to or because we've fallen into them. You've gotten this to this point in your life through a lot of decisions. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us rethink how we've gotten to this place and then how do we move forward with him more at the center. Do we really die him? Would we really leave as him as much as we might have if we truly know who he is? So that was number one. Number two is that Israel loves other gods. Oh, we got to speed up here. Uh, chapter 9, verse 15. It says, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. All right, I'll read that again. Uh, every evil of theirs is in, Gil in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. This is God speaking. Uh, Gilgal was a unique place because at this point in Israel's history, they had made two official big altars to a foreign god named Baal. In Bethel, in the city of Bethel, and in the city of Gilgal, they made these altars to a foreign god in God's promised land, and they would go there and they would give Baal sacrifices. Baal was important because he was a god of fertility. He was the one who brought the rain. He was the one who brought water out of the ground, and he was also the god in charge of uh, babies and flocks. Right? And so they would go to him, to this Baal, to this man-made thing, to this uh, demon, and they would worship him, they would give him what they were supposed to only give the Lord, and then they would go to Jerusalem and do everything that God had told them to do. They would pretend like he was just like everything else that we make up in our imaginations or in this world or anything uh, according to the kingdom of darkness, and they would be like, oh, okay, God, you know what? I'm just gonna, this is my little cosmic uh, insurance policy. I'm just gonna give Baal a little on the side here. I'm gonna go to church, I'm going to pretend like you're the one who has everything, like I'm the one who gives you, and then during the week I'm going to go and worship everything else that I worship. I'm going to go just, a just like a little bit here, God, I'm giving you more, like I want to give you more, I'm giving you more, I'm giving you more of my time, but I am going to, you know, every once in a while go to Gilgal, go to Bethel, give all a little something so that I uh, cover my bases. This week, I couldn't escape thinking of Michael Scott uh, and from the office where he says, I'm not, I'm not very superstitious, I'm only a little stitious, right? 
Like, I'll just, I'll just a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit here and there. Okay, yeah, some seasons I'm giving ball a little bit more, uh, but I'm still going there in the first place. Like, I still entertain that. I still go there. I'm still divided, even if it's 1%, right? That, how can you even put a percentage on it? Any, any bit is evil. They're like, okay, I just give it a little bit, and I'll go to the Lord. And what he's saying here is like, he's saying to them, he's looking at Israel and saying, who is really providing for you? Who's really the one that gives you everything that matters? Who's the one that really feeds you? Who's the one that keeps you alive? Is it me or anything else? Is it another God who's the one who really keeps everything going? Is it you? Is it your hard work? Is it your determination? Is it where you went to school? Is it other people? Or is it the universe? Is it karma? Is it another God? Is it another religion? Is it goodwill? What is the thing that provides for you? Do you have anything in your life that's good and beautiful that did not come from the Lord? Reflect on that question really profoundly this week when you go home, when you have a moment just to yourself. Do you really think that anything in your life came from any other source other than God. In chapter 8, verse 11, he says, because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become, um, they have become to him altars for sinning. And so it is our duty as followers of Christ to always be looking in our hearts and in the way we fill our days to say, do I have any idols? Do I like really think that I'm like living all my life, but I'll just give this thing a little bit, a little bit, just enough to make sure I'm okay, just enough to make sure I'm covered, just enough so that I make sure that I, I get that promotion, or I'll just compromise just a little bit of what I know is wrong just because everyone's doing it, or I don't want to look like that person, anything, any one of those questions that we could think of. It's like, are, are, like do we... Go to anything else other than the Lord for our provision. You know, uh, one definition of what an idol is, is that an idol is any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, or money other than God. That's an idol. Anything that consumes any one of those pursuits. It's an idol. You might be chasing after things that will not make you any more satisfied than you are right now. In fact, if you get that thing that you're chasing after and it's the wrong thing, not only will you not be satisfied, you will be worse off than you are right now because then you're beholden to that thing because then you are that thing's slave. So many times I talk to people going after promotions. And when they finally get that job that they've always wanted, they realize that they have to work more than they ever have before, even though they were killing themselves to get there. Their lives are actually worse. Um, which brings us to our last point today, is that Israel finds the other securities. Let me read really quick chapters 8, 9 to 10. He says this, it says, For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers, Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. The third great charge that God gave to Israel in Hosea's ministry was that they 
are going, they're seeking for their own national protection by going to countries that God never told them to be about. And it's not even just those countries, but it's them relying on their armies for their protection. It's like, okay, like, oh, Israel, we're just this little baby. Remember, at this point, it was two kingdoms of Israel, the north Israel, the south of Judah. Israel was much smaller. It's like, oh, we can't protect ourselves. Let's go to Assyria. Let's go to Egypt, and we'll hire them to be our private army, and we'll be fine. We'll be golden. And guess what happens? In 722 B.C., Assyria demolishes them. Right? And in 722 B.C., Assyria comes and just wipes out the whole kingdom of Israel, setting this picture for us to realize today that not only will your idols not give you what they promise, not only will they not satisfy you, they will always kill us in the long run. They will always turn their backs on us. Everything that you, that you seek after that we're talking about here, every time you go to Baal's little altar and give him a little bit of scraps or a whole lot of scraps, not only is that bad for your soul, not only is that making distance between you and the Lord, it's actually going towards your destruction. Your idols will always kill you, always take your joy, your freedom. They will always put you in bondage because that's the only thing an idol can ever really do. That's the only thing an idol ever attempts to do. Keep you trapped, keep you coming back so that you can never leave. Chapter 7, verse 11, uh, he says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. And then the real big one in this topic is chapter 5, 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wounds. Right? Church, uh, let me say this as clearly as I can. Your idols, the things you chase for, the things that you're pursuing, anything in your life, or really anything in your life that you go to meaning for other than God or what he says is good, can't heal you. It will not heal you. Only one person can, and that's God. That's the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your life. That's what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. Our idols don't, will never heal us because they never want to in the first place. They're only about doing the opposite. The things that we chase after to give us excitement, fulfillment, a different pace, a new experience, uh, prosperity, popularity, money, good relationships, they will never heal you. The things that, that you chase out of your wounding, those things will never heal you other than God, other than going to him and saying, Lord, I only want to know you. Only you can do these things for me. And so help me to turn away from my other lovers. And so for you, was our invitation this week? What, does this all, is, what is this all leading towards? What's the invitation for us? The invitation is for us to be able to go back to our real homes in the Lord. The invitation is to let the Holy Spirit look into your life and say, where do I leave the home all the time? 
Where am I going to all my other lovers, to all of my idols? Where am I practically living out the fact that I don't trust God for this, or I won't let him do that? I want this idol to heal me. I want sex to do this for me, or I want my bank account to do this because then I'll be really safe, or I'll only walk around if I have a gun with me because then I can protect myself. All, all questions like this. The invitation is that we can go back to the only home that really loves us, is to know the Lord, to yada him better, and then to say, Lord, I want to make you my home, so search all of my life, search my heart and the things that I do, and show me where I'm telling you that I don't trust you for this, that I don't think you'll provide here, or I don't think you'll keep me safe from this, or I have this gaping hole in my heart that I'm just trying to numb with this. What do you say about that? Only God can heal you. Only God is the one who wants to heal you. And only God is the one who is able to heal you from everything. And so the invitation is to go back to the Lord and say to him, I don't want to go anywhere else. Make me faithful to stay in the home that you give me because there I have everything that I need. And one of the things about Gomer is that she never had to leave, but she did. She chose to leave she didn't need to. And we and us with the Lord, you will never find any significance or identity apart from him. So you never have to leave his home in the first place. All of your treasures are found where he is. And the dream is that when we allow God to do that over the course of our days, we will truly be satisfied. We will truly want for nothing not because our lives will be perfect or because we have everything we think we might need, but we will be satisfied because we yada the Lord and know that there's no better place to be. There's no better person to rest our whole souls on than God. There's no one who we can better trust for our eternity than the one who so perfectly loves us and calls us back to him. And so let's worship this God. Spend some time, if you want to even start right now, saying, Holy Spirit, search me. Search where I do these things. Search where I run away from you. Or if you just want to stand up here and worship a God who perfectly loves you, do that. Because there is no better person, there is no better thing to give your total adoration to. You're just totally gobsmacked at how good he is to us. And so let's worship him, and then we'll come up and we'll